What do you know about that, man? <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs> but the lions, too, man. That's a cool story. I like yeah, their I mean, coach. Guy, yeah. I like yeah, their the coach. coach. I do, too. Yeah. He's like the exact opposite of Miami's coach, and that's what I like. Yeah, yeah, He's exactly. Dan the man. <laughs> All right, what do you guys say we just jump into the podcast here? Let's do it. Good. All right, well, I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. Isn't it great that it's not uh, below zero? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm this. It feels like a summer day out there. No kidding. Yeah. Today's guest is uh, Cody Roden. Cody, you've been on with us, I think, twice before, right? Yeah, at least twice. One yeah. of my favorite guests to have on, because I, I told somebody this last night, at the I was down at the Louisville boat rv ship boat rv and sports show is what it's mm -hmm. called and i told somebody that i was having you on the next day and that you were one of my favorite people to talk to and i said it's because i can talk to him about all the other stuff like the <laughs> exactly. trees and the, the stuff that i found really interesting that most people don't but today we're going to try to stick to some of the topics that you are truly an expert at and that is a uh, small game kind of wildlife habitat small game your job title is your wildlife biologist a small game biologist right yeah, exactly. So I'm the small game program coordinator. And so small game in Kentucky include squirrels, rabbits, quail, and grouse. And so my program no longer includes grouse, um, but we still have squirrels, rabbits, and quail. Yeah. Why um, doesn't it include grouse anymore? Yeah, that's a really good question. So about 10 years ago, the department decided to put an extra emphasis on grouse management in the state. So we came up with a grouse plan okay. and kind of separated them out into their own program with turkeys yeah. um, to try to get some more focused um, emphasis mm. on those. Okay, because I, I do see grouse in the state, so I know that we have them. They're, you know, we got to still be managing them because I run into them sometimes mm -hmm. and they scare the fire out of me. I know. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, it's always yeah. so quiet and so peaceful, and then all of a sudden, grouse yeah. right there at your feet. When they or, take off, it's like a cubby or of hear quail. A drum. That is cool. Oh, yeah. no doubt. That's it was so my cool. only experiences with them are in Far East Kentucky, but it's cool. Yeah, you know, yeah like they're the isolated to the farthest part of the state, and um, some people call them thunder chickens because yeah. of how they blow up out of right. the cover. You know, and some it's, people it's call awesome. turkeys thunder chickens too, but I think it's That's more true. fitting for grouse. I, I agree. agree. I totally yeah, I think agree. that because yeah. a grouse is kind of like a chicken. You know, turkey that's a whole different thing. Whole different thing. Yeah. 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 So we actually, I don't mean to cut you off, but we had some questions come in from social media. I put some feelers out and got some questions, and there were two questions that I thought would be good to hit right off the top, and they kind of play into what you're talking about right now. Somebody, let me pull his name up real quick because I want to get it right. Yeah. Um, this individual, it was Zach Souter. He asked two questions. And he said, uh, what is considered a fur bear? And then he said, what small game is considered a fur bear? So in my mind, that tricked an, kind of my own train of thought. And I was thinking, well, what is the difference between fur bear species and small game species? You know, so why, why is a possum a fur bear species and not considered small game so what what's kind of the difference there how do you how, how do we dictate what's what yeah that's a great honestly that's a great question and so we do first of all we do have a fur bear program yeah um at kentucky fish and wildlife within the wildlife division and so historically fur bears were animals that uh we would trap or sometimes hunt for and the way I like to think about it is, you know, the intent of harvesting that animal is to get the fur and utilize that part of the animal. So for small game species, it's more about getting that animal and consuming the meat, mm -hmm. um, maybe doing something with the uh, tail fan of a grouse or something like that, mm -hmm. right? But our intent there is to is to eat the meat, harvest the meat. And whereas a fur bear, the number one objective is to get the hide. And so in that question is very interesting because there are at least one animal, at least maybe a couple animals that 
are a small game that do both, right? So squirrels, you can tan the hides, which I would totally, if anybody's interested in in doing fur bear stuff, but they don't want to go through the process of trapping like a bobcat or something, you know, the next time you harvest a squirrel, try to skin it in a way that you can preserve the hide and just mess around with it. You can just use table salt to cure it, Mm -hmm. you know, um, flesh it out. Borax, exactly. It's a laundry detergent. You can get real cheap at Kroger or something. 40 mil team, but that's a preservative that we actually suggest using for a lot of things. Like uh, we just did a how to turkey, how to clean a turkey with Becky. And so you use borax to preserve the tail fan and the and the beard. So that's a that or table salt would be good too. But borax is I feel like that's kind of I see that at taxidermist shops sitting up on the shelves and stuff. Oh yeah. But I think it's I think it's quicker borax. I don't know. I've I've done it with both and it just seems like borax is definitely better. I'll say that. Um but yeah, so rabbits and squirrel Mm -hmm. are two small game species that there is a trapping season for. Mm -hmm. You can go out and trap these animals and harvest them for both meat and fur. Um or like I said, you know, if you're out small game hunting and you harvest a squirrel and you're interested in something like that. Um I remember when I was a kid, that's the first thing I ever skinned and and tried to tan, you know, Mm -hmm. air quotes tan because i was just doing it randomly but it was an interest i mean it's very easy to do it's a good learning process and you can do something like that with a small game animal like a squirrel and it's a small scale you know you can do it on a table or something and but it's completely replicatable i mean it's the same exact principle and process for something like a deer exactly so you're basically practicing and that same like your your experience there can be translated yeah, something bigger if you wanted to, but I never, 100%. I never have done that. But it does seem, but I, I thought that was a good question. Like, it's a great question. What makes a possum? Uh, for but you're saying it goes back in time to that intent of why people pursued them. Exactly, it's kind of how we dictated them. Yeah, and um, that make that makes perfect sense to me. So you said the small game species in Kentucky are quail, rabbit, and squirrel at the moment, right? And grouse in my program, yes. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, there's no trapping season for quail. So one of my questions here is, well, my first two questions were, what species in Kentucky are small game? So you nailed that one. And then um, what defines them? Got that one out of the way. Um, So I was kind of wanting to know, and I have a whole list of things here, but what's kind of the primary goal of your program? And so I, I think about the deer program, right? Mm-hmm. And it's obvious when you look at the zones. We got zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four. And in zone four, we're trying to increase the population. That's the goal, right? Mm-hmm. In zone one, we're trying to decrease the population. That's the goal. So, in a nutshell, do you have a goal for small game populations as far as we trying to increase them? Or are we monitoring those? How do we do that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I love comparing it um, to deer management. Mm-hmm. And so, essentially, in the, the whole wildlife division, you know, there's kind of there's two broad ways to to manage the species we have, right? The species that are abundant right now, um, we kind of check down to harvest management. So things like um, turkeys, um, deer, those sorts of things, you know, our focus is is a lot on harvest management. So like you just said about the zones, we're kind of limiting harvest in different areas to try to grow or reduce. Mm -hmm. Um, For small game, especially rabbits, well, um, rabbits and um, quail, both those populations are precipitously declining in the state. And so when we come to a species that's declining that we still hunt, um, which is an interesting complex in and of itself, but a species that is declining that we still pursue as a game species, you know, we're trying to focus on growing those populations. Mm -hmm. And so for quail and for rabbits in the state, you know, that comes down to essentially usable space. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to promote... Um, especially on our private lands um, and also on our public lands, trying to promote the creation of usable space. Mm -hmm. And so, 
you know, everybody's heard the habitat message. You know, these days when I get a call from a constituent, um, sometimes we'll be like, hey, I've heard the habitat message. You know, let's let's go on to something else, right? We've kind of, um, we've done a good job of, of promoting that maybe to an extreme where people are kind of tired of hearing that. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point, you know, and when I look at the landscape in Kentucky, I come back to, to, to usable space. So essentially just cover for these animals to exist in. You know, sometimes I'm I'm driving down one of the parkways in the state of Kentucky and I think to myself, especially now at the at a time when cover is very much reduced, right? We don't have any a lot of growing vegetation on the landscape. We're talking about just being winter in general. Just winter in general, yeah. I, I think sometimes, you know, you see a a mowed field or something like that, and it's like a grasshopper couldn't live there, right? And mm-hmm. so um it's just about promoting these rough areas, um, areas we're letting grow up, um, areas we're not in there messing with, especially mowing um, quite a bit. Well, it makes sense to me that, like you said, it is interesting that hunting a species that is in its own on decline, yeah. kind of got to be careful there, right? So Exactly. Um, yeah. One of my, so like the most interesting thing to me as we are coming into this podcast is lately we've all been driving, like Lee, you've been driving down the road and it's been winter, it's been cold mm-hmm. and you've seen ice everywhere. And you see hawks on the power lines, mm-hmm. right? And you, mm-hmm. and you see, uh, if you're me, you see a wily coyote while you're out there mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. And so I sit here and I look at all the challenges, right? And I also look at small small animals as just having less body mass. Like I look at birds flying around in the winter this past week, and I wonder how they don't just freeze solid in five seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like that water bottle at the Kansas City Chiefs game. Like exactly. when you weigh 15 grams, how does your body not just instantly freeze? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I look at these squirrels. And I'm like, well, they're having to survive this cold and they're having to survive it, you know, on their calories that they can go out and find. Mm -hmm. And they're having to dodge hawks and they're having to be weary of coyotes and and bobcats Mm -hmm. and other predators. And so to me, it was like, how in the world do these things survive? You know, squirrels and rabbits and just small game in general, because it seems like life has got to be tough, you know, and hunters. I didn't even include us in the mix. Yeah. But so I was curious kind of how they do that and right. what i was kind of wanting to know about like it doesn't seem like food is is something that we really hit on for small game numbers we're not pushing like well you probably don't have enough because it's food water shelter habitat right mm-hmm. yeah so, um, mm, that so is it, habitat. it doesn't seem like we're ever saying well you probably don't have enough water on your property for small game you don't have enough food on here it seems like it's always the habitat but in a nutshell how do these animals survive all those challenges winter and predation and people and cars and i mean how it's a numbers game how does it work no and i've had the exact same thought and so you know it's kind of easy to just be like oh they're they're fine you know you see the 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 social media posts about like you know if they're cold you're cold you know and stuff like that but in reality (laughs) i don't think that's it i think it's if you're cold they're cold (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah yeah, true true (laughs) took me a second to think about that (laughs) if Um, they're cold you're cold well i'm cold what do i do exactly um but you know (laughs) essentially, you know, taking like a 30,000 foot view at this, every, pretty much every wild animal on the landscape has a has an insulated, vented, rainproof jacket on at all times, right? Mm-hmm. And so these things obviously have changed through time to be able to um, deal with a lot of the climactic um, pressures that, that are put on them in the Mid-South, right? So the animals here are different than the animals in the North, mm-hmm. um, in the Northern United States and stuff like that. But, you know, during extreme weather, so like we're talking, you know, sub-zero temperatures for multiple days in a row, um, squirrels, for example, or uh, other mammalian small game species, so squirrels and rabbits, um, they might check down to something called torpor. Oh, yeah, torpor. Torpor. Okay, you guys have heard of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so 
torpor is, you know, essentially just a slowing down of the animal's metabolic rate. It's like a... The way it's been described to me is it's like what our black bears do. They don't really actually hibernate. They just go into, they just reduce their, it's like a, a, a knockoff version of hibernation. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. I'm really glad you brought that. That was a point Small I was going to bring up. Smallmouth bass are doing it right now in Elkhorn. Exactly. You know, they, 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 when stream smallmouth especially, they go into torpor just to get through the winter. When there's no food availability, they just kind of shut yeah, down. Yeah, just fire down. Exactly. Yeah, and so, you know, we learned about hibernation in, like, grade school and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, In reality, there's very few species that actually truly hibernate. And you're exactly right. It's more of an... Torpor is a kind of a condensed version of hibernation. It's like hibernation for like two or three days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and an extended torpor can be considered hibernation, but like you astutely mentioned, um, it's definitely, there's very few true hibernating species out there. Um, and so our mainly species will do that. Birds, on the other hand, um, they, they have a higher body temperature than we do or other animals honestly mm-hmm. um and so and you'll see this if you look out your bird feeder or when you walk around you saw you're, you're noticing birds and stuff mm-hmm. they'll fluff out their feathers yeah. and put more pockets of air I in between their body because mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. notice they all look so fat in the winter but <laughs> exactly it's just yeah feathers. yeah they're actually their their fat reserves are doves probably at a minimum as well and some doves yeah. that are migrating get even puffier you know, yes. Yeah. So it's just puffing it out and adding. They're air. just puffing out. Yeah, puffing out, puffing out their feathers and adding um, air pockets right. in between those things to trap that warm air next to their body. Same principle of is wearing a down jacket under your waterproof. Jacket. Exactly. And what's yeah. in the down? You know, it's air. it's it's that's air and feathers, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That no, makes perfect sense. Because I was wondering, like, uh, you know, the the birds you see them all puffed up, you know, or, exactly, or just they yeah. look like baseballs. They're perfectly round. <laughs> yeah, perfectly round. Do, do squirrels and rabbits and stuff like that have winter coats? Do they do like as deer do and and grow thicker hair under the hair or, or get thicker coats or does that change through the year? It does. It changes a little bit, but they will since they're a lot smaller and it's a lot more energy to like go and shed through whole coats and stuff mm-hmm. like that. They'll resort more to you know kind of laying low, maybe not going into torpor, but laying more low and and getting into leaf drays or leaf yeah. nests or mm-hmm. little um, burrows and stuff like that, and kind of trying to conserve the energy they have. So essentially, you know, like they might have a hole in a locust tree and they've been stuffing some leaves and some straw and stuff down exactly, there. Exactly. Yeah. They just go in there and ball up for a couple of days, but torpor being that it's not true hibernation that means that hey if they get a warm day or two they can wake up and go out there and and forage food and then if it gets cold again come back and torpor again so they can wake up and come in and out and do that that type stuff yeah and from a from a hunting standpoint you know a sunny february day is a great time to be hunting squirrels because they'll be out there not only are they trying to get heated get heat up heat themselves up they're also you know looking for cached mast and they're also um squirrels specifically they'll lay out on a branch you know this time of the year is classically cloudy in the state of kentucky right Mm -hmm. i mean we got clouds right now um and so one of the main ways to get vitamin d from the sunlight is they lay out on a branch let the sun hit their um hit their fur and then they they'll groom themselves and and get some of that vitamin d off their actual Mm. coat Um, Yeah, yeah. So if you're hunting in in the winter and a sunny time, you know, they'll just be plastered Mm -hmm. to a branch. And they're hard to see, honestly, but they'll be up there just soaking in some sun, essentially. That's good. Yes, vitamin D is important. It's very, you know, it's very important. Yeah. And when it's, when we get the chance to get it, I soak it up. Like, oh. Man, that's probably, like, whenever it gets semi-warm, like 60 degrees, I'm going to be walking around outside in, in cutoffs and stuff like it's midsummer because exactly. I just love feeling the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're saying, like, this past Monday... 
which was the first day that we were coming off that brutal cold. Exactly. Monday, it got up into the 50s coming out because mm-hmm. we had guys out ice fishing that day, and the, they started to be really? able to hear the ice visibly yeah, like singing. cracking. Yeah. yeah, so they uh, they got out of there. But the, the squirrels. Oh, good idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they had plenty of ice, so I don't. I think they measured it. It was like five and a half inches. Thick. Oh dang, that's like a truck. You, you could it. almost yeah. drive a vehicle across it safely. Mm-hmm. But um, so Monday would have been a great day to squirrel hunt. Oh or yeah, potentially rabbit hunt or do any kind of hunting really. Yeah, yeah. Say. Things will get out, you know, shaking around and, and searching for food. Um, because honestly, the again, this is the this is the time of least food on the landscape, least amount of cover and stuff, which you know is. It's tough for, like you mentioned, tough for small game, but, you know, as pursuers of small game, it, it can be easier for us to actually interact with those animals in a hunting scenario. So what's the life expectancy of one of these little critters like? Generally speaking, across small game, you're looking at a year or less. Okay, yes. that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. So that brought me to, like, my a real question is um, mm-hmm. if you live less than a year, right, Yeah. then you have to reproduce. Exactly. Um, and you have to make up for yourself. Like, so... So do squirrels and rabbits have multiple, is it a litter? Yeah, so litter for rabbits and squirrels um, or a clutcher brood for quail, birds, for yeah. birds. Yeah. So do they have multiples per year? They can. So that's a really good question, too. So squirrels consistently in the state of Kentucky will have multiple um, litters per year. Mm-hmm. Um, they breed twice, once in the winter and once in the summertime. And then after like a, a little over a month gestation period, the young will be born mm-hmm. and they'll raise them up twice in a year. And mm-hmm. so you're looking at like two to three offspring probably per, per female. So potentially four to six per year. If four they to have six two per success- year. That's, a, that's like on the higher end. Two successful reproductions. Yeah, two successful um that honestly, that's probably about the average. Okay. Is, is too successful, really. Okay. Um, you know, that's the average. Again, we're probably going to see that this year. I mean, we talked about the mass survey uh, uh, last year, mm-hmm. and so if you remember, and we saw this in the deer harvest was a little bit lower than it was last year. This year for mass was really good, um, relatively speaking, and so we'll probably have those two. They'll be able to pull off two um, litters this year for sure. Okay, and, and they also so. have the cicadas this year coming, the big brood. Yeah, um, which two. Yeah, two. We got the the seventeen year and the annuals, so it should be a massive cicada year this mm-hmm. year. The big one. The big one. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna have Dr. John McGregor on to talk about that. Mm-hmm. I'm oh, excited nice. about it. Yeah, that'd be really cool. <clears throat> yeah, he's probably like I love having you on, Cody. I already said you're one of my favorite guests, but mm-hmm. I think McGregor's gonna be a good one. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Do squirrels eat cicadas? Probably the three small game species, squirrels will be most likely to eat cicadas. So rabbits um, probably not as likely. Rabbits to eat not as likely, and quail, it's probably just a little too big um, for yeah. quail to get on. But turkeys, yeah. and that we're not talking about big game, um, and turkeys are not small game, but turkeys will definitely benefit. Oh yeah, from the I told one of my buddies the other day that the cicada hatch we have this year's potentially going to bring back turkey numbers like we might have seen in 2008 2009 2010 i totally agree with that yeah. it might not, I mean, when i say bring back turkey numbers like we we had the the highest population in the state at that point in time. exactly and that was from a cicada hatch right from mm-hmm. the yeah. 17 that would have happened in 2017 or t- 2007 17 years ago and i remember, I remember mm-hmm. where i worked i worked at the old stone inn in simpsonville right there off 60 if you ever go now to it's the lavender place is that what it's called now yeah it's just the but it's that an was old written building. up in national magazines back in the day the old stone inn was oh, very cool. the south i was yeah. a bus boy at old stone inn and we had very the cicada nice. hatch and we had an outdoor patio seating area 
And when those cicadas started screaming, man, nobody would eat outside. Really? Yeah, no, they, were like, they, were cicadas. they were creepy, yeah. man, at no night. Way. They were loud. Cicadas everywhere. That's I, awesome. I, and um, I've got a jitterbug that looks like a cicada they produce oh, for that hatch. Man. That's got Every clear, 17 years, you got crushed with that It's got a clear, thing. you know, the... the Lobe in the front, mm. it's oh, clear. Gonna, I'll need, be throwing that bad boy this year. No, I'm gonna go down. get a jitterbug. No, yeah. that's a, that's a yeah. good that's a good tip People right don't there. Realize that's that a it's a tip. great stream smallmouth bait, especially yeah. in low light. Is a jitterbug. Everybody thinks it's a pond bait or, or right, a yeah, uh, flat water bait. Yeah, pop, 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 pop. do a 45 degree angle of streams. Pop, 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 pop. And sometimes they'll just come up and sip it, and you'll just feel it. And then sometimes just a little pressure. savage. Yeah, yeah, love that. Topwater water I've caught a big catfish on one night. No that's awesome. Big old chuckle headed male. Channel cat, big old shovel head on him. But you're 100 percent right. This is the year for a topwater little jitterbug, or if you have a popper, a fly rod, and a popper. Oh heck yeah, I'll be. Mm -hmm. um, I'm getting ready to order some fly gear for an upcoming article when we get done with this this afternoon. I've got to. uh, I've got to get ready for fishing. I was talking to people about it last night at the the boat show. You know, a lot of people. Oh yeah, yeah, getting fired up about it. Yeah, I was talking Mm -hmm. to people about Sauger and all kinds of stuff. Oh nice. Crosby was there. Jeff Crosby. Yeah, he told me he was. Well, he came up and got some hunting guides yesterday. He's like, I'm working the boat show tonight. Heck yeah. What's this article you have right here, Lee? This is one that's being printed right now that Cody and I worked on. Oh, you guys worked on? Yeah, using dogs for uh, squirrels. It's a good looking dog in the photo. Yeah, then that was uh, in in Shelby County. Oh, this is down, a, down on uh, our former uh, boss's uh, lease, Norm. Norm okay, mentioned invited yeah. me, and that's Cody. He's a treeing feist, and he's owned by a guy. These guys are from Leslie County, mm-hmm. and his name's Pat Turner. His name's Ricky Johnson, and then that's. I mean, it was a tough day, and we still got squirrels. Yeah, I uh, like damn. those feist dogs. Man, that Cody oh, was man. brilliant. I've got some questions later for, you know, yeah. talking about this because I. Yeah, it no was doubt. fun. It is fun too how you can like you're right there on this article you have in front of you. There's a dog and he looks serious, man. He's got multiple. Oh my god, he's serious. And he kind of said, "Well, I need to get him in better shape." That dog was hardest working dog I've ever been around my life. No doubt. Yeah. Pat was on him like, man, yeah. he's kind of he's a little bit fat. I need. I was like, he went all day, man. Yeah. yeah. But I tell you what, he burned some calories because later I was starving too, and we didn't mm-hmm. get back and. uh I got out of peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, I had. That dog and that dog tried to almost pull my britches off getting that. <laughs> he was starving. Don't go, he was. He was like, I want that. That's yeah. too funny. <laughs> a lot of times we've uh, we've been he was out on tearing me up, jumping on me. We've been out on rabbit hunts before and had the beagles, you know, run them. So they because they're just like people. They need energy. We've had them yeah. get uh, one of them got low blood sugar on us. Where they, I guess it was like a diabetic dog. You don't really diabetes is increasing in dogs. Yeah. My, my late dog Belle, she had that the last couple of years. She had no, diabetes. I'd have to wild. flip her lip up. Up and check her blood sugar and yeah. give her an insulin shot the whole night. Dang. Well, a lot of time we'll go hunt with uh, rabbit guys who'll carry like peanut butter crackers or something. Yeah. And that way, if you know, and this dog, I'm the only one dog I've ever seen get affected by it, but it just started acting a little confused. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like maybe stumbling it around. Yeah, it didn't quite like seem like it was into the chase. Wasn't quite. So he gave it a couple of peanut butter crackers and it didn't take five minutes. That dog was right Ready back, to go, right yeah. back yeah. after the rabbit. Yeah. So I've done was, the same thing with my English setter um, hunting game birds and a carry now a, a snickers bar yeah. just pull a piece off give it to him same thing five minutes later he's you know that's go. that was a little uh, uh trick that a lot of pro golfers used they keep snickers bars yeah um uh, and there if they got you know yeah I, yeah I was i went to the valhalla in 2000 i went to the practice round and uh we we gave jim furick a hard time after that because he had a snickers bar and threw the wrapper on the ground the wind uh, blew it over into the no. rubber like uh ah, so we called him snickers bar dude yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> the <laughs> only golf event i've ever gone to was valhalla in 2000 yeah that was yeah, no my, i had no interest Tiger in golf won. but yeah you know i guess my, my dad an epic playoff yeah, it was, yeah. 
they thought it was important enough for me to go see it. Big event, you know, big sporting, so they took me to it. Heck and yeah. I, I wish I appreciated it or remembered it more than yeah. I do. I'll tell you guys real quick off topic, the Snickers got me thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, first, if you do, like, hand your dog stuff that you that you eat, I'm fine with the chocolate. Mm-hmm. But grapes and raisins are one thing because yeah. grapes and raisins will kill a dog. No kidding. Yeah. And, and some what of those, quantity like, do you know? Do they have to eat a bunch of them? Or? Doesn't have to be. And I always heard chocolate's not very good. Yeah, but not. chocolate is actually, like, if you look at the ratio as far as how much chocolate per their body weight, like a dog like this right here, mm-hmm. the spiced, would need to eat, like, three pounds of chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a ridiculous. It's like a... 10% of the body weight type. Oh, okay. yeah. but, um, but grapes and raisins, and raisins especially because they're dehydrated, they have a chemical in them that will kill a dog. Mm, um, so gosh. grapes aren't as bad, but the raisins are more concentrated. Yeah, yeah, so I so just sense. know one time Kristen, my fiance, left. Uh, she was out hiking with him, and she took a bite of like a kind bar or something and oh, set it down, and he no. ran up there and gobbled up the rest of it. And she ended up uh, making him puke it up because she looked online. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. but, but <laughs> yeah, as far as the Snickers go, I love Snickers bars, but I found a better, healthier alternative that it tastes okay. better. So, do you ever eat dates? Mm-hmm. You ever eat dates? Yep. Sometimes, rarely. Well, yeah. basically, you just take a date and you pit it. You cut, take the pit out, right? Mm-hmm. And then you take a little peanut butter and you fill the inside with the peanut butter. And then what? I drizzle a little chocolate on top. And, no uh, kidding. And I'm telling you, it's better than a Snickers bar. I'm sure really? much better for it. And it's healthy. Yeah. 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 Chris, the Kristen uses almond butter in hers. I like the peanut butter still. But yeah. 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 It's extremely good. Dates have quickly become one of my favorite foods. But no kidding. It's extremely off topic, too. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I think, it, I mean, dates in my mind have always been like something that, you know, like very old people eat, right? Mm. To like. Well, um, I'm getting older. Yeah. I'm getting no, no, older. no. I'm saying, but I'm hey. saying that, that segues, that might segue back into small game, you know what I mean? Because I feel like, you know, it's a good, you're saying it's a good food. We should eat more of it. And, and Everybody prunes. should. Prunes, oh, are prunes yeah, prunes for real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Prunes and dates. Yeah. Dates are good, though. Dates are good. Yeah. Well, I think what you're saying, and I totally agree with this, but, you know, dates might need like a, a cultural elevation in yeah. like, you know, our, our, our cuisine. And I think the same thing about um, squirrel hunting, yeah. or small game hunting in general, you know, because. Recently, a lot of people I'll say, "Hey, I'm going squirrel hunting." They'll be like, "Man, they just they think it's kind of strange. Like, they think it's a very uh, oh, backwards favorite, thing to man. do." It's so fun. It's so fun. The meat is so good. Very lean. You so can the, make it. The, the, the lifetime of a lifespan of a squirrel is It's about a year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I never. I didn't know that until now. Well, yeah. Maybe um, that. That's probably like uh, you know, it's always different. Like, well, how long is a squirrel capable of living for? Yes, is yeah. probably a so, whole different question. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's the, average. the average. That's then. the well, average. I mean, yeah. Doves and are we've the seen same way, but some live several years, some live yeah. one year. In the stand you're hunting, there's likely a three year old male in there, like a nice big buck male. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the people hunt a lot, they might have seen like one of these nice big, um, again, male squirrels. Mm-hmm. And that's not uncommon for sure. Um, and the as far as like if how. What's the maximum lifespan? I mean, there's captive animals that have lived over 12 years. Yeah, you know, like that's, a, that's like saying. a dog's age. You know, mm-hmm. and so, um, but yeah, in the for squirrels specifically, um, you know, predation is is kind of a factor, but it's more about the mass crop. So it's more about the resources that are on the landscape, and they boom and bust, yes. right? So um, do you think that more squirrels die from winter and, or starvation or from predation or hunting? or What do you think kills most squirrels? As far as squirrels go, specifically out of the three-game species, it's not predation. It's okay. likely starvation or maybe um, issues resulted with... Uh, 
less resources in the forest for them to consume. So maybe they, you know, they're not you able to get out. From car collisions as well. Yeah. Car collisions, big time. Yeah, big time as well. And that's a, you know, there's not a lot known about the mineral requirements for squirrels, but you'll see them a lot this time of the year dead on the road because they're going to the road salt. to lick the salt. Yeah, yeah mm. to lick the salt. And so you they, they go crazy it. for yeah, salt. Yeah, they yeah. go absolutely crazy for it. And, and that might be a mineral limitation well, that, they have in the I'm wine. Sure that ain't good for them, though. Yeah. Road They're, salt. Yeah, road salt and they, then oil and then chemicals. and Antifreeze and everything else. And you know, yeah. the pre-treat is a chemical, correct? That's not just salt. That stuff no they spray in lines on. I, yeah, I think yeah. that's a chemical. I don't want to know. Yeah. The uh, I know they hit my mineral licks that I've had out for deer before. Exactly. You, know, you get those squirrels yeah. out there. And, and um, no, that's that's interesting. I was because I've always just kind of wondered how they keep up. You know, yeah. and I see some, I, I think that they're just stupid squirrels. I mean, I will be out there deer hunting or something, and I'll see a fox squirrel take off across a 300-yard wide open field, and he's just hopping through out there. I'm like, well, surely something's going to come by and pick you up real quick. I don't see how they make it, because they'll run out in the middle of a wide open field. I thought the exact same. I thought the exact same thing the last time I was deer hunting out of a blind in yeah. front, in a, um, on the edge of a cornfield, you know? Yeah. Um, and the reality is, especially with fox squirrels, you know, we think of them as, as being pretty small, but in reality, there's not a lot of predators that will get, especially aerial predators, so okay. our hawks and, and owls it's and stuff like big, that. It's, it? it's just too big. So the gray squirrels are definitely more at risk for avian predation, something that could see yeah. them in a field running around. That's why they don't spend as much time in the field. Yeah, if I don't you've see noticed. the gray squirrels doing that. The exactly. fox squirrels run exactly. straight through. Well, that's their habitat, too. You know, I mean. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they've been able to exist in that space because they're a little bit bigger than gray squirrels, yeah, Typically, uh, among other reasons. I feel like I'll also speak on this a bit. See, like, fox squirrels near water most of the time. Not always, but it seems like I'll, if we're going to go squirrel hunting and we're, if we get fox squirrels, chances are we're closer to a creek or a lake mm-hmm. or some water. And gray squirrels seems like they just inhabit the woods. Yeah, the know, woods, exactly. Everywhere, yeah. the ridges and everything. So what about kind of the breakup of fox squirrels, gray squirrels? Why do they, why do they seem to want to be in different areas sometimes? Yeah, that's a great question. And so essentially, you know, this is a going back to, you know, how things have arranged themselves in nature through time, right? So the gray squirrels are a little bit smaller. They're able to live in more dense forests and they do spend their time in essentially um, what we would, what we would think of as, as a dense forest, right? Something with very little um, sunlight on the ground, you know, clo- very close canopy. Whereas fox squirrels, you mentioned the water, that's it's more likely that they're selecting those areas because of the openness that's associated with water yeah. or a riparian corridor. You know, you have sometimes you have fewer trees or something um, out around those areas. And so they have been able to to exploit more open or fragmented areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we've mentioned this in the past, but, you know, in the state of Kentucky, we have our harvest is way is like 70, 30 to 80, 20 gray squirrels to fox squirrels. Yeah. But the place I grew up in, in East Central Illinois, which is just on the fringe of what I, what is called the corn desert, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just on the fringe of that really fragmented habitat. This The last few years is the first time I've ever seen a gray squirrel in the place that I hunted right. where I grew up. So yeah. you're saying mm-hmm. it's not about the water. It's about the the makeup of the woods yeah. and the, the fox, I think so, yeah. fox squirrels they're always on the edge fence rows that's yeah. what that's fox squirrel habitat yep. that's why i see them and, uh, Big time. And like they're my favorite though because i think they're cool yeah. fox squirrels are yeah, i think I they're think my they're favorite cool too, too. Yeah. the gray squirrels i appreciate them but the fox squirrels are they're just big well my, big, my boss yeah. dave's son's car got squirrel chewed uh through wiring harness i think yeah, <laughs> yeah back to the mineral thing yeah he's pretty mad at squirrels right now was it a honda no it was a toyota oh well it might still be a similar but 
I've had to deal with that several times. Not on my cars, but they used to chew um, my fiance's wiring harness on her car all the time. And it's thousands of dollars she had to spend to fix it. Mm -hmm. And okay. she ended up uh, taking uh, like fox urine and stuff and like. No she, way. Yeah, so she ended up like dangling, like tying a thing of fox urine, a dispenser of it, in her engine. Would mothballs work? No way, no. I don't know. But I know that when she went to Valvoline to get her uh, oil changed, and they popped the hood, and there was fox urine dispenser under yeah, there. Yeah, like, like, uh, ignore like, that. Nope. <laughs> but, but her wiring harnesses, see, Honda had switched. Their, they were trying to be eco-friendly. Mm -hmm. So instead of making their wiring harness out of plastic, they were making it out of a soy-based Oh, no kidding. Um, huh. a, like a soy, well, I don't know. No, but I like, wonder if, hmm. Yeah, like so, so the squirrels were specifically eating that wiring harness that had the soy oh coating gosh. on it. That's so, wild. Yeah. I mean, there's reports of utility linemen um, putting salt licks on the bottom of the telephone post because there's something up there. They just constantly go at it yeah. or eating the coating off a telephone wire or something mm -hmm. like that. And so they're, they've gone as far as putting something else mm -hmm. down there, so they'll go after that squirrel, instead I've of the I've got stuff. one in my backyard. They run by that. My dogs used to run in circles. Sort of, my dog gets after the squirrels man yeah you take yeah. him squirrel hunt right yeah i'm gonna take him tomorrow i That's just awesome. got done telling uh nathan brooks up front before i came yeah. back here tomorrow my plans are to sleep in i sleep cannot in. wait to sleep in i haven't oh, slept yeah, in man. i can't tell you the last time i'm like god go waterfowl hunting you don't sleep in yeah. at three o'clock in the morning for no, 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 i want to go but i'm gonna sleep in tomorrow and then i'm gonna take my dog squirrel hunting and i'm gonna watch the uk game and those are my plans for the i That's love that good plan and you yeah. got a beagle, right? Yeah, he's a beagle. He yeah. will. You know, Chad made a good point on the show the other day. They were squirrel hunting with a dog that was a mix between a uh, Border Collie and a Belgium Malinois. Um, so you can imagine that dog. I mean, yeah. the Belgiums are the most athletic dog. But the thing that was said was that, uh, you know, this dog is just a people pleaser. wants to please you. Exactly. And the guy said, I think you can, a dog that wants to, to please, you can train it to do anything. And that's I pretty totally much that. that's mm -hmm. pretty much what my dog is. Is he uh, <laughs> he's just wired for the rabbits, you know, naturally. Right. But he uh, he likes to hunt pretty much everything. And if we okay. get, I can tell him he knows the difference in a squirrel and a rabbit. So I can be like, let's get a rabbit, let's get a rabbit, and he'll he'll go to the brush. Really. And if I tell him let's get a squirrel, he'll he'll look up that hill towards the woods and he'll take no off. No kidding. But essentially, <laughs> I can, that's yeah. awesome. So I can tell him a little bit. But if if I want a squirrel and he crosses paths with a rabbit, he is he's on the rabbit. Yeah. 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 But you can dictate what your dog goes after just by what kind of wood you put them in or habitat yeah. you know exactly yeah there's not a lot of rabbits running around up there in the hills on the wma and, no the and it's open i'm going to take them to the knobs so oh nice yeah, yeah that'll um, tire them out so speaking of that february is a good month you know i mean there's it's really not for a lot of people there's not much to do right now you know it's a little early for yeah. fishing except if you're i hear they're catching smallmouths at cumberland right yeah. now. Ooh, i love and, that well i mean i'm sure Wind chills of you know below zero that, that no one's fishing in that but, right um, right before this big bust they were starting to catch them but but why is February a good month? Yeah, February especially for small game is a great month. So the, for the first two weeks in February until February tenth, you can still hunt rabbits and quail in the western part of the state. Mm -hmm. So for small game for rabbits and quail specifically, we have essentially two zones: the western third to two thirds of the state, and then the eastern third two thirds of the state. So the eastern um, region goes out at the end of this month, January 31st, mm -hmm. and it goes out February 10th in the western part of the state. But squirrels statewide last until the end of February. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely something, I mean, you know, I've, I've read about, you know, the depression that sets in among sports people after deer season goes mm -hmm. out. You know, 
practice deer hunting by squirrel hunting, right? So wake up as early as you would, get out to the, the woods as early as you normally would, um, and harvest those squirrels that were tricking you all deer season. I told, I almost started to say it earlier, but one thing I, I like about squirrel hunting is that, well, one, it doesn't have to be taken that seriously. You exactly. know, it can be yeah. as just laid back and relaxing as you want it to be. And like um, when, when squirrel season is in, a lot of the times I find myself going squirrel hunting as opposed to what I would have been doing just hiking. You know what I mean? Yeah, hiking with a gun. Yeah, it's, that's how I pitch it. Like I, like not too long ago, Kristen was saying, uh, you know, you want to go hike at so-and-so. And I was like, well, why don't we go to Otter Creek instead? You know? Exactly. And it's just hiking with a purpose to me. And like I said, I just throw I my that. little... 22 over my shoulder and then when my dog starts barking and trees a squirrel i can reward him for it instead exactly, of having to be yeah. like come on get off that tree you know mm-hmm. we're, we're yeah. hiking like instead of having to get on him and tell him to come on and quit i can yeah. reward him and i enjoy i enjoy just going for a laid-back squirrel hunt throw a 22 on my shoulder get a squirrel great don't get a squirrel still still great exactly know? yeah so. and i think it, you know you mentioned you know the beagle obviously is a is a dog that people use in the pursuit of rabbits but you're saying you use it for squirrel and it it's good for that I, I would argue what you mentioned before if a dog is aiming to please you mm-hmm. you can use that animal to hunt squirrels i yeah. mean mm-hmm. you it would probably in my mind and correct me if I'm wrong but it'd be hard to set that dog on quail right or mm-hmm. upland game oh he would never do well with that yeah and so you have to have a specific breed for that yeah yeah, yeah. Well, but squirrel hunting you can use a myriad of different dog breeds yeah. to use, and it's great exercise for you, great exercise mm-hmm. for the dog. One of the best parts of upland hunting is my English setter in my house. I live in town, lays on the couch for a couple of days after mm-hmm. we get done hunting because he's totally been exercised yeah. mm-hmm. and he, he's oh, yeah. he's a lot more well behaved, you know. Mm-hmm. And well, so not worn only out. exactly they're worn it. out. That's yeah. what they want. Exactly. I mean, that's what they want for sure. Yeah, he'll uh, like you said. I mean, he, he but it's a different skill set a pointer dog. Versus a tree dog. You know, a tree dog, a tree kind of comes instinctively for almost all dogs, if you ask me. And I think chasing squirrels comes instinctively for almost all dogs, too. I've never seen a dog that didn't want to go chase a squirrel. I 100% agree. Oh, I know. So yeah. I, I feel like if you've got a dog, you've got I mean, something you could take Little lap dogs. Exactly. If they see a squirrel, go nuts. You know, yeah, I mean, no, every no. species that sees a squirrel yeah. goes exactly. crazy. Exactly. Yeah. No, the, the feist that we have, the picture we have right in front of us is a smaller dog breed, and that mm-hmm. was on purpose. And a lot of those dog well, breeds do have a, game. You know, he was a champion. Right after this, this was he smelled scent, and this was a dead ash tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to the top, didn't see one, but then he picked it up. I guess there had been one. He took off. I took off pretty soon. He had one tree. No kidding. That's so, so he cool. smelled. He smelled scent, then smelled it near that. So that maybe the squirrel or whatever was up in that. Yeah. He immediately locked on, and I had to run to keep up with him. No then, kidding. Exactly. Then I heard burr, 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 and boom. Yeah. Here there comes the squirrel. Exactly. <laughs> That's, That's perfect. A, the best squirrel dog I've ever been out with, too, is a feist. And they, uh, did you know how they came to be the feist dog? Yeah, th- that's one of my questions because. Cody gave me some really interesting stuff. I, I uh, is, is, uh, the story I heard was an interesting one, so I want to know if what I heard matches what you well, heard. Well, what, what Cody told me, and, uh, you know, the, the, it's a very, very Kentucky Appalachian story. It's that, you know, they, they Appalachian could, story. They're yeah. small, diminutive dogs. They were brought over here from Germany and from Ireland mm-hmm. in colonial times uh, mm-hmm. with, with immigration uh, pre-United States. And uh, they were, you know, they don't eat a time. They could fit on a wagon. They could fit, really, they could even fit on horseback. Exactly, in the old saddlebag. And, and uh, also, one of the things you brought up was they're really good at vermin control. Mm-hmm. So when you moved into the the pioneer, you know, when you moved out into the wilderness, you, you had a dog that would help you do that. Plus, you have one that would help you put food on the table. But, exactly. But feists were just developed over time from these small, uh, feist is a German root word. 
is 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 German. Feist is. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. uh that's exactly what I heard. Um it was Steve Stacy uh who told me this. He's from Carlisle County, but his family were early early settlers back in Harlan County. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he told me. He said they had they had a Feist dog because uh they were smaller and cheaper to feed and easier mm-hmm. to maintain. Exactly. But that you he said they'd treat squirrels and you know, squirrels of the day and coons and possums of the night. He said yeah. you could take them out and do everything. Do like everything exactly. Yeah. 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 And and th- th- they're you know, some dogs just don't do well domestically. The the hardcore hunting dogs. You know, there's exactly. a reason they keep those outside. Like so people think they're being mean. Yeah. Like dots. But, but if, if, <laughs> if, if you have this dog that you've put a lot of effort into, and you bring him into the, he's going to lose some of that. He's yeah. going to lose a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So you see people's like, well, they're mean. They keep their dog outside. Well, that's that dog is a working dog. Yeah. You know. I'm 100 yeah. percent convinced now. Ever since I, I always thought Dotsons were just the meanest little house dogs for no reason. And ever since Rachel got oh, sick, oh my god! Now I realize that they aren't the meanest little house dogs. So they're just the hardest working working dogs. Exactly. And for some reason, they they work. everybody puts them in a house. Yeah, they want to sit on the couch yeah. and be petted. Uh, yeah. They want to go do stuff. Like that yeah. dog's supposed yeah. to be doing something, just like a a Great Pyrenees is, or you know, an Australian exactly. Shepherd. Like that yeah. dog has. They jobs. got a job. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And he I wants to do his and, job and. Dogs want a job, yeah. you know. I feel uh, bad yeah. for Dotsons, honestly. Most of them just want to be working so bad, but they're stuck in the house with, yeah. you know, just. And they get kind of cracked, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But but feists, you know, you could domesticate, but then they didn't lose that edge. Exactly. You let them out in the woods, they're back on it. They're yeah. back on a squirrel. They're back on a rabbit. They're back on a coon. Exactly, know? yeah. No, but I totally in the winter when, it, you know, you're, they can hang out at the house and yeah. be a pet. You yeah, know? Yeah. What do you say we run through some of these questions we took from social media? Sure. Before and then, because I, I still have one or two things. I know you do too, Lee. Mm-hmm. But I, I would like to ask it from the other people instead of asking our version of the yeah. question if possible. So, yeah. real quick, I'm going to run through them. We already did Zex out or what, it, what small game, fur bear. We, we kind of ran through those. Um, D Rose, like I said, these are Instagram. So it's like usernames is what mm-hmm. I'm getting. So D Rose. Uh, I don't think it's Derrick Rose. No. It could be. Memphis. Could be. You know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much hunting he does, but you know, <laughs> it, you never know. You never know. Yeah. It doesn't look like that, Derrick Rose. Um, simple projects that someone can do to increase small game populations on their property. Yeah, that's a great question, and it got back to kind of what we were talking about really early in the podcast about usable space, mm-hmm. and so honestly, it depends on what you're shooting for. You know, rabbits and quail is pretty similar in their in their management um squirrels is is a lot different right Mm -hmm. and so for rabbits and quail it can be as simple as just not bush hogging Mm -hmm. any open land you have so you know the state of kentucky gets like 46 inches on average um of precipitation a year Mm -hmm. that's a lot Mm -hmm. um and so pretty much any open land in the state of kentucky wants to be trees okay eventually it will be trees if we walked away in Mm -hmm. in five to seven years it'd be a bunch of a bunch of trees yeah Yeah, most of the cedars yeah someday it will be and so (laughs) yeah and so we do need to do some management or get in there do some disturbance disturb the land in some way to keep it in this um open um stage and so that can essentially just be mowing once in the Mm -hmm. month of march and that's it do that once every three years and honestly that's doing less than what most people in the state of kentucky are doing right now with the open lands they have which is mowing them three four five times a year in yeah. the summer right so march why march march because we're getting in there we are hitting the woody stems right and so we're, we are cutting things down we're, we're freezing it in that open stage that a lot of our declining species in the state of kentucky mm-hmm. require mm-hmm. um 
And so we're, we're freezing it in there, but we're missing ground nesting bird time. So the turkey nests are out. The fawns are not down, laying down in there. We're allowing that area to regrow and throughout the entirety of the growing season. So the growing season in Kentucky starts kind of some sometimes starts late February, early March, but essentially comes on, you know, April, May, June, July, August, mm-hmm. right? It's, that's when a lot of the, everything's green in the state of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're cutting it before our native plants really get ready to start growing. And so what we can do is we're cutting it when some of our exotic plants that we've planted here that are not from this continent um, are starting to grow, and so we can hurt them a little bit, but our native plants haven't started growing yet, so we hurt the exotic plants, and we allow room for the native plants to get in there and grow up. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. And so you're, it's basically creating some usable habitat. Just be. usable space, yeah. That yeah. reminds me of something that we did recently for the show. We went out to Clay WMA and covered the helicopter application of oh, herbicides yeah. of the honeysuckle. Right. And that was uh, really cool to me. I think that that's something that I'm, if I was a landowner, and I'm going to ask somebody that I deer hunt on if I can do this on their property because there's honeysuckle everywhere. Yeah. That almost yeah. seems like one of those fun projects. You know, like mm-hmm. you could go out to your own property and it's real easy to identify honeysuckle. Exactly. And, and mm-hmm. you could easily just carry around the hatchet with you and do the cump, cut stump or something. Exactly, and, yes. You know, you could walk around for a couple hours while you're shed hunting in March or, or something, like literally while you're shed hunting, and just take out your honeysuckle issue while you're yeah. at it. Mm-hmm. Like, And you probably mean, find more sheds because you're going to be paying more attention. Exactly, and yes. You could do you that right there, now. you're creating brush. Yeah, yeah, that's true as right. well. And with honeysuckle specifically, you do need to put something on, on the, the stump or uh, it will re-sprout. one in my backyard. It was like ancient. Yeah, the, so, cuts, yeah. the cut stump one that they were doing, because we did that video we showed, but it just seemed there's like you can uh, just basically apply a herbicide to the to the base of the tree if it's or the base of the honeysuckle or you can if it has green leaves on it, you can spray it over mm-hmm. the top or what some people were doing that I think was interesting was they were breaching the bark on the bottom of it, basal bark treatment. Yeah. Essentially taking a hatchet and just notching out a, some of the bark and then treating that with herbicide. And yeah. that was and that would allow the plant to take the herbicide in and it would die. But I just think it would be so simple. And as I look across the landscape in Kentucky, especially in that October, November, where you can see the honeysuckle because it's all green. I mean, honeysuckle's everywhere. And it, yeah. it I just imagine what the woods would look like if you just took all that out and opened mm-hmm. up the, the oh. I mean, it seems like that would be the easiest, most beneficial it's, thing. It's just amazing how thick that god-awful stuff is. Especially in Central Kentucky. Yeah, I would say. Oh, I would look, see. That you know what you're looking at. You can be driving down, to, you know, and hop, especially like on Kentucky River WMA. And so you look up and it's like, oh, my God, honey. I mean, right here. Mm, yeah. You want to see the – go to the game farm, go down Lower Lake, that whole little woods thing. Yeah, exactly. It seems like half of it's awful – and it just driving totally down is, 64 yeah. oh my in God. the winter. Oh, it's it's everywhere. Yeah. But it, it's totally it seems right. like that because I kind of enjoy those projects where it's like, I enjoy shed hunting, just getting out in the water yeah. and going for a woods. I would enjoy shed hunting with a hatchet in my hand and spraying a little bottle, a little Windex bottle up at Herbicide in or exactly. around Exactly. That's okay. all you need. You know, and that, that would improve habitat. I, I just think that's something that's worth doing. It. I didn't really open my eyes to it until we did the, yeah. the helicopter application video. Oh, yeah. Like you say, you don't know it's there until you start looking for it or unless you identify it and you're like, oh, my gosh, yeah. how much is it? I mean, you could do that, what you're talking about as far as hiking with a purpose. Mm-hmm. You you could go out in the morning, you know, with your 22 slung across your back, do a little squirrel hunting, and then on your way out, mm-hmm. just clip a couple stems. You can you can cut, you can't do the foliar application or the basal bark, what you just mentioned, but you can cut the stump completely off, like cut the plant completely off at the surface of the ground and then spray it with glyphosate, Roundup, essentially, Roundup. You can get that at Lowe's, right? And so spray it with Roundup and then you're done. 
Yeah. You can do that right now. You can do that any time of the year. Um, I think it's worthwhile. Well, you know, I just did a piece with Jacob, and we talked about things you can do for small landowners that are pretty small that could make a difference. And Big one of the time. things, you know, is, you know, you you got a unruly tree, and this is on a piece that on his little half acre lot. He puts a brush pile out after he clears his trees, let's sit there. He says, every time I move in the spring, there's a rabbit underneath there. Exactly. So if yeah. you could create just a few brush piles on your property, you'll have rabbits. Brush he piles also are said huge, establish yeah. during the winter, just establish a mowing buffer. And yeah. resist the idea to mow it all the way to the fence if you can do it. Yeah, exactly. He says that makes a huge difference. And then maybe just a little plot of sunflowers. You yeah. know, just something simple. Exactly. And that'll draw in tons of birds and let it go fallow if you can. You yeah, know? I mean, not only the birds, but you look at, like, the, um, the plight of insects and pollinators and stuff. Mm-hmm. The the smaller the scope, you know, the more we can do for things like that, like small insects mm-hmm. and things like that. Just having a pollinator planting. Or like you said, just don't mow some part of your the mm-hmm. area, the property that you own, whether that's a tenth of an acre mm-hmm. or 40 acres, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, it goes back to usable space, not only for small game, but all the way down to insects. Sex, you know. Um, I'm gonna jump to another question. One person just said quail. Somebody else, Scott here, said quail restoration. Could the department on known private lands projects rent equipment? So I guess he's curious if there if there's an option for private landowners to rent equipment to help with their habitat work from the department. So not so the department does not necess, does not own equipment that people can rent, but there's a lot of um, rental companies out there that you can do that. There's also every county has a conservation district, mm-hmm. and oftentimes those individuals have um, equipment you can take out either for rent or for free. A lot of time, like um, planting equipment and Who things along those lines. for that? Like 4-H extension office type deal? Yeah, extension offices, essentially. Okay. Um, private lands biologists make recommendations? Exactly, well. yeah. The so private lands, you can contact the private lands program here at KDFWR, um, or just walk in and ask those people. They're open um, every weekday. Yeah. yeah, I would call the Info Center, 1-800-858-1549. Yes. Or you can just get on the website, fw.ky.gov, and type in private lands, and it'll show you a map with all the counties, and it'll tell you who you're biologist is and give you their email and phone number exactly so you can just call them there's something you all developed too that a lot of people don't realize is your facebook page on habitat i can't remember the name of it but uh, it's it's like private lands facebook you know just search private lands um habitat Habitat. kentucky and there's a facebook page they got a lot of great information tons of great great tips pictures yeah. here's what you do and yeah. they're seasonally appropriate too like yeah. what what can i do now right that now. you know yeah, yeah that, exactly. that just got kicked off last year i think when jacob took yeah. over that program yeah. but yeah that's that's 100 percent sure mm-hmm. um another question here i'm not sure if this is one you want to hit on um best way to trap raccoons and possums is that something that you could speak to at all i mean i would yeah, just I would use a live trap it. probably yeah. but go, yeah go live trap yeah. or um the coon cuffs, you know, the dog proof yeah. are really good uh, for raccoons anyways. Yeah, those are the ones that awesome. it's essentially, it's a foothold trap, but it's like a little metal tube, but it looks like, exactly, and yeah. you put like some, some jam or jelly or marshmallows Fruit or Loops, yeah, you name it. Whatever, something sweet down in there. Um, whatever you want to carry around in your pocket and munch on while you're saying <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Well, I trapped a coon with apple and peanut butter, but it didn't have a heart. No I kidding, mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, raccoon that was mm. going under my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So but the, the, the foothold ones seem like they'd be fun for raccoons, like more challenging. You're trying to get them to put their hand in a specific... But the live traps work, right? You just live trap work, yeah. The tomahawk live traps, yeah. Sardines, you know, whatever you Sardines got around. probably be good. Mm-hmm. Um, next one. <clears throat> Evan um, wants to know, has there been any progress in the grouse population? Obviously, habitat is key, but it seems like there's habitat that is ripe for grouse, but there just isn't enough left to repopulate it. Yeah, so that's a great question. And another, you know, I love that people are mentioning in their questions about the habitat message. It's it's mm-hmm. great that people are are... are 
know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's happening with grouse, um, and there's other animal species in the state of Kentucky that are, that are following this trajectory, but at this point, you know, historically we could say there was a point in time in the state of Kentucky 30, 40 years ago that we would say if we built grass, grouse habitat, they would be there, right? If you build it, they will come. Exactly. For grouse specifically, that that's starting to not be the case because of um, a concept called fragmentation. Mm-hmm. Or essentially, the pa- those patches of habitat are too far away from each other from these core grouse populations for the grouse to actually go from A to B, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the landscape in between those two quality patches is in such a bad state that they can't make that Jump. Trek, yeah, they can't make that jump from one to the other. Um, so I would say, you know, to that individual, if they if they if they own that property, you know, start talking to your neighbors, right? So start talking to them, start trying to think about what's around you um, to try to expand um, essentially a corridor of habitat from one patch to the other. Where I've seen grouse before has been big unbroken sections of habitat mm-hmm. on Cumberland Mountain. I mean, yeah, where there's like literally a hundred miles of consistent habitat um, <clears throat> stretching, spanning the mountain. That's that's where I've seen grouse before. That's yeah, much and those are the those are the at this point in time those are the places that that they are they're you know they're strongholds. I got you. Our areas sense. that um, you know. Find the next question here. So that was Evans. So it sounds like uh, he's kind of spot on, but it's there is still lim- gaps in the habitat that kind of create this. Exactly. exactly. Um, next question here. Oh, this person messaged us. They were just trying to reach Chad. So nice. um, tips for this is from Kimbro Pittman. Tips for late season squirrel and rabbit. Oh, okay. Okay, late season squirrel and rabbit. So uh, we mentioned a couple of tactics yeah. earlier um, about, you know, find a nice cold sunny day. Mm-hmm. You know, keep your eyes peeled on those perpendicular branches from the trunk. Squirrels will be plastered on top of them, getting that sunlight. They're also spending a lot more time on the ground, right? So they're out there trying to find um, nut caches, um, things along those lines. And so definitely, you know, the sitting and waiting could work pretty good at this point in time. Um, walking still works. I mean, spot and stalk, stuff like that. That we There's no leaves on the trees mm-hmm. at this point in time. And so, you know, the spot and stalk works really well, um, just stopping and watching. Um, How do the caches busy. work? Like, yeah. I mean, I, we all sit in the deer stand and we see these squirrels come through and they, they sound like a herd of elephants because they're, one, hopping around the dry leaves, but two, they just sit down there and they dig and they'll bury that yeah, nut. So exactly. what, tell me about the, why they do that and how it works. Yeah, and so it's it's pretty straightforward. I mean, they in their small squirrel brains, they're aware at some point that there's the mast in the trees is going to go away, right? And mm-hmm. so they they take that stuff. They, they're actually really good at selecting quality acorns, hickory nuts, um, you name it, hard mast, and taking that item, making sure it's so making sure that this is a viable seed, something yeah. that will give me nourishment in the future. It's not um, a rotten seed. It doesn't have a weevil in it or so something like that. they pretty much do the thing that people do at the grocery store where they pick up and feel. I love that. Yeah, I never yeah. thought about that. But, yeah, exactly. Just they're feeling instinct. around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who knows? I mean, and so they're taking those quality nuts, ones that, you know, are – not so ripe that they're getting ready to germinate. They put it in the ground, it's going to immediately germinate, but, you know, not so fresh that it's just going to sit there and rot. And so they're taking those, um, selectively taking them out and burying them somewhere in the forest. Generally speaking, this is like in a couple acres, right? Especially in high-quality stands of mass, if there's a lot of good quality nut trees in that Mm -hmm. stand. Um, A pretty small area. They'll grab all that stuff, they'll go bury it, and then they'll just go on about 
their daily life, right? And then, you know, they feel a little grumble in their tummy. They go out, and again, their ability to go back and find these cash nuts is remarkable. It is kind of interesting. Months go by sometimes. Months right? go by, yeah, and the, the percentage of nuts that they find, and the research on this is kind of all over the place, specifically because it's really hard to watch a squirrel for long enough to be like, it buried that nut. It's going back to get that exact nut. But some, I mean, we're talking like 80%. They're going back and finding 80% of the nuts that they cashed. Hmm. That's once. There's others that are like, no, it's more like 15%. But I would like to think, you know, yeah. that they're able to, well, they're they're able spending, to find them. Well, I guarantee you this. Just they do it in my backyard. You know, there's little holes now. You'll find little holes in your yard that little squirrel feeds done, you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Then that's where they, you know, I've got, I've got a pile, you know, several oak trees around my, you know, and I've got a mm-hmm. pin oak in the backyard, so. They're taking those, you see them, burying yeah. them, and then later, it's like, why is this, who dug this hole? Exactly. Oh, Mr. Squirrel's getting Mr. his. Mr. Squirrel, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a sack lunch. Put down there in November. Yeah. No doubt. As no far doubt. as the percentage <laughs> that they go back and get, like, I would have no idea what it is, but I guarantee you that if they do it, that it's efficient. You know, yes. they go back and get a percentage, a high enough percentage for it to be worth their time to bury every single nut. You know exactly. what I mean? Because they wouldn't do it if they didn't. So they yeah. have to get at least a percentage to make up all the energy and effort that they put into it. Exactly, because it seems like a lot of energy and effort when it they're does. out there rooting around. Mm-hmm. Let's see the next question here. Um, Joshua Massengill, who's one of my fishing buddies and a, and a big upland guy. Awesome. Um, great fisherman, hybrid fisherman. Um, Peabody WMA, small game work completed in 2023. Please and thank you. Ooh, okay. Great so question. Know, I guess what kind of small game work we did or we completed on Peabody last year. Yeah, so one of the big – so Peabody WMA is kind of – it's definitely our number one public area um, for Upland game. and um, But the management out there is a lot different. It's an old reclaimed coal um, property. There's a lot of open land, a lot of marginal space um, for quail and other animals to live, especially quail and rabbits. Um and so one of the big things we do on Peabody WMA is block disking. So we take mm-hmm. these big, huge offset discs with a full-size tractor, and we just disc up like a couple acres in a block. Disc it, mm-hmm. go around three or four times, turn everything over, kind of start back at square one. And then what grows in to those things during the, the growing season is like annual weeds and stuff. And a big key of that is there's a lot of bare ground for the rabbits mm-hmm. and the quail to move around in. And so we did a, a fair amount of that. You also notice at Peabody, there's these the big gridded strips of winter wheat. Mm-hmm. Those are actually permanent fire breaks. And so mm-hmm. those things, um, we go in and, and the managers at Peabody WMA go in and plant those every single year in winter wheat. And what that does is it's a green fire break. So we ignite prescribed fire on the area and the fire gets up to the green fire break and it stops, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's actually in some of the some of the turkey work and some of the quail work we've done out there. That's becoming um, a, a good habitat feature mm-hmm. within all around. I mean, those things are passing through the woods. They're out it's in the quail open focus land. Area, correct. Peabody, Peabody is a quail focus area. Yes. And they've yeah. done a lot of studies. Eric Williams has done a fantastic job out there. On yeah, that. he's a great manager. Him, Jared Arnold. Um, they got a really good team Eric out took there. Gary Garth and I around and showed some of the stuff he was doing awesome, on the yeah. on the new WMA. Uh, yeah. Harris Dickerson. Awesome, yeah. Which which yeah. abuts Peabody. Right, right. It's new property. 
then the, the two units out there for um, small game, the Sinclair and Ken unit are the areas that have the most management. So block distancing, the permanent fire breaks. Um, we just did some work on the permanent fire breaks where we widened them a little bit with a do uh, bulldozer. Um, they've done some spraying, some mastication, so going in there and resetting the forest a little bit. Um, and they do have um, hundreds of acres on the docket to burn this February and March. Cool. Good. That yeah. sounds like some good work. And the burning, I think that's one of the coolest things. I was completely blind to it until a few years ago. But it seems like okay. the prescribed, well, I mean, I knew it happened. Yeah. But I just didn't realize how effective it was. You yeah, know what I mean? No doubt. Um, Chase Rickard wants to know, uh, state rabbit population, any WMA rabbit habitat improvements coming up soon? Yeah, so that's a great question. you just mentioned some like on Peabody. So. Yeah, yeah, some on Peabody. And the, the rabbit's work is very similar to the quail work as far as like what we're doing in there. It's essentially getting out in our open areas, um, either reclaiming those open areas. So you mentioned cedar before. There's mm -hmm. several areas. Um, Taylorsville Lake is one that's pretty close here where we're harvesting the cedar off of it, um, cutting all the cedar out, going into masticating. So masticating is like... Um, you take a bobcat, like a skid steer, and there's a, essentially like a big drum on the front of it that turns really quickly, and it just goes in and, and, and tears into uh, woody material and kind of turns it into a bunch of wood chips, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're doing that on several WMAs, especially our Tier 1 um, WMAs. We're out there trying to reclaim our open lands, uh, a lot of burning on our public lands um, for sure. And, again, the burning is like the most economical way to keep our open lands Typical open. free chemical free yeah yeah it's the you know the aboriginal bush hog you know we're trying to get out there and 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 we have you know take our areas back to the fire adaptive landscapes that they were before um europeans and africans came to this mm -hmm. state yeah it was uh the first podcast we did together where we talked about the uh seed banks and and how that all works Ooh, it was yeah. one of my favorites so far yeah no the, the whole concept i didn't know about i mean the seed bank we, we did a you know a Worked at Midway for a long time, and they did a little thing where they quit mowing along yeah. Lee Branch there, right by the soccer field. Boom, yeah. And all of a sudden, in the seed bank, and, it, you know, fescue had been there for decades upon decades. Great blue, blue lobelia. Yeah, Switchgrass. Yeah. All these native plants have been in the seed bank for, I mean, those seeds can sit in there for who knows how long. For real. And yeah, if you create it. the right conditions, poof, yeah. here they are. there, exactly. I mean, it could have been fescue for since the 40s. Yeah, not only that, but tree cover, too. I've seen it in East Kentucky um, where we cut down trees and start burning. Indian grass comes back. So, like, a, something we think of in the Great Plains is in Pike County. Yeah. It's like, this is crazy. I mean, yeah. again, it, it's yeah. it's just a sign of what was there and what should be there Several now. Several native well, grasses popped up, you know, those beautiful exactly. native flowers. I mean, it was amazing. Honestly, Cody's whole seed bank <clears throat> um Insight he gave us that day gave me hope for the world. Yeah, that oh, yeah. That's because so simple. Yeah, I remember we talked about that. Yeah. 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 Well, one day, you know, if the world ever finds a way to get rid of all of us, then it will go back to normal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, for the seas are just in their way. You, <laughs> yeah. You can yeah. tell driving down the road right now with the, the weather we had the past two weeks, all the potholes are mm -hmm. twice as bad as they were. Oh I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Potholes yeah. are horrible right yeah, now. Yeah, they are. Well, you yeah. can see it, and it's just going to take a few winters for Mother Nature to get rid of those roads. Exactly. Roads are gone, and, right. Yeah. And also that same process will open up ground as well to expose some of that sometimes when you have a freeze-thaw cycle. Well, 
that'll open up some of the sea bank and allow, you know. I think yeah, this yeah. weather's great. You know, I love seeing this cold weather. It's what it's supposed to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's going to be cold, I like the snow. Give me, me snow. Me too. Yeah, yeah, I want the snow. It, didn't, <coughs> but it stuck around for a decent time. This and then that'll, that recharges your, you'll have better grass this year because of the nitrogen from the snow that goes down into, you know. It's yeah, awesome. for cool. sure. That, that makes perfect sense. Cody, I got a few more questions I wanted to run through. Um, one, what's the most fun, and Lee, I want you to answer this one too. <laughs> what's the most fun you've ever had small game hunting? Oh, man. I can say for me, it's just taking my dog out, you know, and, and probably going back to when I was a kid. I used to live in a house off 60 on Benson here in Shelby County, Benson, uh, that the property backed up to Guest Creek, and I had a dog, Rascal. And we'd go back, and I'd have my BB gun. And so doing yeah, that when yeah. I was like a 12-year-old or an 11-year-old, maybe I was younger than that when I lived there, probably eight years old, just walking through the woods with my dog and my BB gun. Yeah. Being able to still do that as an adult, you know? Like yeah. I, I can't say that for me while personally hunting, there's one instant that really sticks out, but it's when I have my dog with me, and he's treeing a squirrel, and it's going, you know? I could tell you what my favorite filming is, but do you have a favorite small game hunting? Man, I can't. Honestly, I'm not thinking of one, but I just – when I'm out in the field, small game hunting, especially quail, woodcock, um, grouse hunting, mm -hmm. you know, you're with your dog, so I love that part of it. Mm -hmm. But you're also, you're well off the beaten path. If you're mm -hmm. doing it right and, and doing it seriously, which, you know, most upland game hunters are, you're very far from the path. You're in the thickest stuff, you know. You're just in spots that you wouldn't, hiking or interacting mm -hmm. with um, the natural system, you wouldn't be like, I'm going to walk over there and check that out in that giant blackberry patch. Mm -hmm. And you see cool stuff. I mean, I've mm -hmm. just so many cool things that you would not have seen otherwise. You know what I mean? Just from landscape scale stuff, you know, going to different states and interacting with those landscapes by upland hunting. Um, again, you're well off the beaten path. You're experiencing stuff that... There's not a lot of footprints mm -hmm. yeah. upland. You don't see a lot of footprints upland game hunting, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's my that's my favorite part of it. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to take it back. I will give you my one personal. So my favorite, like, single memory, I was just thinking about all the small game hunting I've done with my dog. The one that sticks out the best to me was the first time I had Kristen, my fiance, with me, and we were hunting public land. So I just basically taken my dog to Yellowbank WMA to, to run around. Yeah. But I took my shotgun with me, and he bust up a rabbit. And we had two barn owls fly out of this barn on the oh, WMA. Cool. So the two barn owls came out over our heads right as Hunter takes off after this rabbit. And he circled that one around just perfect. It ran maybe a hundred out and did a loop and came back through. Did the barn owls smoke it? No. That would be cool. I, yeah. I, never, I don't know where they went, but I did report that That's to Laura. It. Yeah. Um, Oh, no, not Laura. Uh, Kate. I Kate, gave that yeah, yeah. out look. But it was on a WMA, so I assume she knew. Yeah. But getting that rabbit on public land with, with her there and him yeah, yeah. and the barn owls, I think yeah, that was Yeah, it's like a Terry Redland painting or yeah. something. It was cool. Yeah. It, it was cool. Awesome. So I'll say that's my favorite. What about you, Lee? You got well, Matt, we used to go rabbit hunting every Friday after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah, I, yeah. And, uh, you know, growing up, those are very fond memories. Yeah. My dad would be like, oh, I hope you'll get one. My mother would say prayers for the rabbits. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. funny. No, that's what he Me and Robin getting the gear on. Yeah. Back then, we just had so much access to farms over Washington County. We had a couple. Um, you know, we yeah. just had some places just we could tear go. Just tear off. Yeah, right. Those, uh, the, the day after Thanksgiving. And we didn't have dogs. They were dogs. You were the dog, that was, yeah, you, had yeah. To, you had to be the dog. Right, right. We would just take it seems like that was a big tradition back in the day is yeah. the day after Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving rabbit yeah, family yeah. rabbit hunt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. that, and I've heard of a lot of stories of those, so that that's cool. I also wanted to know, Cody, what's the most fun you've ever had at work? Ooh. You can tell me this one too, Lee. I'll try oh to Oh, my God, that's going to be real hard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, we'll have trouble with this one. But you're thinking about at work. Yeah. What's the most fun you've ever had at work? 
doing prescribed fires is you pretty like burning fun. Stuff. Yeah, burning Pyro. stuff is fun. Yeah, it. Um, and again, it goes back to you're interacting. You know, and this is probably like very personal, but like it's almost in some ways spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't know if we talked about this before in this podcast, but not to dive into this, I've been I've been criticized in the past for going way too far with the prescribed fire stuff. In reality, though, there's fire and the human species mm-hmm. is so intertwined. I mean, if you just think about it, you're sitting looking at a campfire, you do feel not to get like weirdly mushy or emotional. People love them. You feel stuff. Yeah, you feel stuff in the back of your mind. You know, you have a lot of reactions to that. That's That's like a primal thing. And honestly, you know, I think we know, a lot of us know the story of, you know, human evolution or how humans have changed through time. You know, it was because, you know, we had, we were able to break down proteins with controlled Mm -hmm. fire, the campfire, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's how we built larger brains to be able to figure out other stuff, right? And there's evidence that not even, you know, fire and controlling fire is not only a homo sapien thing, but early hominid species, different species use this. And so if we think about this, you know, language doesn't transcend our species. Mm. You know, other things don't transcend our species. But fire does. Fire does, yeah. Mm. Yeah, fire totally does. It's back to the very beginning when we were all... Before the beginning, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And, uh, you know, you say that, and I think about this past Sunday. I was out in an event, and it was cold on Sunday. (laughs) Or no, it was Saturday morning. I know, I had to work the... uh Oh, yeah. Turkey and a fly fishing show. It was 15 below zero wind chill when Ooh. I was starting my truck that morning. But we, so we, we were outside and it was, it was cold. And uh, we tried to kick off a fire there, like a little campfire. Oh, yeah. We yeah. had like a little fire pit, you know, the portable ones. And, uh, and I'm telling you, man, I just wanted to get that fire going. Exactly. Like, and it wasn't yeah, even that because I was cold. Which, I just kept I mean, looking over at it. Yeah. Who yeah. doesn't like sitting around a fire? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, in the campground or in people's backyards and the, you know, open air fire pit people yeah. have now and everything. You know? Right. It's, it, it's it was it's nobody's primal, job. Yeah, it is. That's mm-hmm. right. That's what exactly what I was saying. It's primal. It mm-hmm. was nobody's job to manage that fire, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I bet you I saw five people come up and, and poke a stick in it. Yeah, yeah, poke the fire. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Put a log in it. One one right. woman is down there just feeding it, feeding it air, just you know. Exactly. So, but yeah. everybody wanted to wanted to mess with that wanted fire. Wanted to interact with it, right? It's just yes. something built into us, huh? I, yeah. So I you totally like think you that. like the prescribed burns? And yes. I, c- I could see yeah. that. What about you, Lee? What do you oh like my doing? God, I've been spoiled. I've gotten to go yeah, on so no many doubt, cool man. things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love going on my Blue Water Trails pieces. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Um, you know, one that really sticks out to me was a guy named Larry Williams. He was the president of the Murray Bass Club, and he took me on Kentucky Lake. And I'm pretty hard smallmouth angler, so mm-hmm. I, I didn't at the time throw a baitcaster very often. Mm-hmm. And I just brought a couple of spinning rods, and he was like, uh, and. Larry smoked like a chimney, and uh, he mm-hmm. was an old bass master chief from the Navy. He was a tough old bird, great mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Lee, you don't put down that spinner on, I'm going to throw you out the boat. Pick up that pick up that Carolina rig. You're on Kentucky Lake. You ain't on Cumberland. You ain't on Dale. You're on Kentucky Lake. Right, right. And I thought he was he would take that one-ounce weight just right in the middle of stuff. Boosh, 18 inches of water. I was like, hey, this guy's crazy. He, yeah. he spooked everything. Oh, God, he... <laughs> That's awesome. That's I so caught, cool. After I shut my mouth, listened to Larry, I caught 27 bass that afternoon. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Glad yeah, you did. Tore huh? it up. Yes. Yeah. So I, that was one that, I mean, God, I've got a million. I've been spoiled. I've been so lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, the, I don't know. For me, I really, really, really like the, the elk hunt I, I got to go film where we had a oh, black yeah. bear, and it was the first black bear I ever saw in the state. So That's I got awesome. to see my first black bear that day, and then we got to see this big bull walk out with a harem of cows, and he just bugled right in our face. Oh, that's so awesome. that was really cool. That's but an, special. Another one. Yeah, that was so cool. But it was also, 
I was looking at it through a, a lens from a distance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Going down to Barkley for the first time and bow fishing below oh, the dam. That's when awesome. we, we got up in that corner and when those fish started jumping and I was getting hit by Asian carp. No. I was trying to hold the camera and cover the <laughs> I mean, action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, many, how many views did that get? Oh, we've got, I mean, it's all across the world. world. I mean, it's worldwide. No but uh, getting smoked by those fish while I was sitting there trying to film <laughs> and, I mean, fish jumping everywhere. That's that was crazy. Yeah, that was, that was probably, because that, the elk and the bear were from a distance. Really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. But it right. wasn't as up close and personal. Those intimate. those silver carp yeah. jumping in the boat, that was personal. Our associate editor, my first star was Carolyn, and she's not with us anymore. And um, when the elk program, Joe Lacefield uh, took us out, and we were like, this is the first time I've ever been that close to an elk. Mm-hmm. We got a picture, and here comes three or four cows, and uh-huh. And my hackle hairs on my neck. Yeah. Dude, I could have thrown a stick and hit that six. Oh, no. He was, in, he was chasing the hair. And I tried to get a picture, and my, fil- my flash popped. Bam. They're out. Go. Yep. He's I gone. mean, just the least little noise. Yeah, yeah. And he was close. You could smell him. Oh, if I made that oh, mistake, I might drop somebody to kill me. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah we got a hunter on the trigger right there next to me. Yeah, yeah. This is just for photos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, uh, without a flash of no photo because it was yeah. you know, right at that. Well, I had to get up at 2.30 in the morning to get there. No I want to yeah. see that photo. Mm-hmm. You should have it. You got no, the no, photo. It's like it's, a, on, it's, on, it's, it's all slide. blurry. That's how long ago that was. It was slide. We didn't have that yet. That's crazy. Are there any small game pastimes that you'd like to see come back? Something that old old timers used to do that we like for I think of uh, the jigging poles for big bass. Oh, you know, oh like yeah, that's yeah. something that people ought to. Yeah. Used, he did a few. Yeah, and that's that. something that I think ought to come back. You know, is there something that as far as small game hunting that used to be popular? I think um, the only thing, that, like the first thing I think about is just getting more people out there small game hunting. I and mean, we talked about um, squirrel hunting. We talked about squirrel hunting a lot. I think it's just a great place for people to start. Um, it's a great place. You know, for people to start, especially with dogs, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, if they're thinking about um, tanning hides or something, right, they can um, they can do these things at a scale that is less intense than the more intense forms of, mm-hmm. of hunting. And so, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, use take your dog out and try to squirrel hunt with it. Yeah. That's what I'd like to see. Well, you know yeah. what? The next weekend show is uh, is a squirrel hunt. It'll be on next weekend's episode of Kentucky Field. Yeah. And it is a public land squirrel hunt at LBL. Right. And essentially what they did was they took a boat and they threw their dog on there. And the dog was the one I talked about, the Border Collie, oh, Belgian nice. Malinois yeah. mix. So it's just a dog, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, they tossed it on the boat and they had a, a little kid with them, I'm going to say probably six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. So they had a kid, had a dog, had a boat, went out there, just walked through the woods, got squirrels. You know, saw oh. an armadillo, saw a raccoon, saw, cool, saw hawks yeah. and stuff. But that's coming up on next weekend show but it's essentially exactly what you were just describing just you got a dog you got some woods just go for a walk right exactly yeah, yeah. and they did the boat in one option which probably makes it more entertaining for a kid too and you exactly, get on a boat yeah. you get to go mm-hmm. for a boat ride and yeah heck, if you've got a boat you can access property that a lot of squirrels probably like some of our wmas every u.s army corps lake is set up to be able to squirrel hunt the banks of if you got a boat or a kayak i totally know? agree with that yeah and speaking of the u.s army corps before we wrap this up i ran into uh some of the army corps guys last night at the um i ran into them at the fly fishing show well they listen to the podcast uh, i, I no, want to yeah. give them a yeah. shout out yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout them out. Yeah. yeah one of the guys who's good friends with uh, eric williams one of our fisheries biologists came up and said Lee, I really like you and Chase's podcast. You all do a great yeah. job. I listen to They're great them. partners. I thought that was yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, they and the, we were talking about some of the projects we've worked on uh, last night. So it was cool seeing those guys, and then the backcountry hunters and anglers too. Talked to them for a bit, 
And uh, they told me they invited you out to speak at something. Mm-hmm. And they said they would have invited me too, but they thought you had it covered. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was like, well, thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, you it. come with me next time, brother. <laughs> well, no, I told them you probably did have it covered, and that was yeah. probably the right decision. If so. it's talking, <laughs> if it's something to do with talking, Lee's got it covered. It was, <laughs> it was fishing related. It's a, a gift for the Barney for being an Irish uh, heritage. <laughs> <laughs> no. some, some other people may use different type of words yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. aren't appropriate yeah. for right. the podcast. Yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes you use words that aren't. <laughs> 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 now, you have to admit, I've gotten better. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, very, much better. Well, guys, I say we call this one quit while it's well, successful at this Second point. Second best time of day. Yeah. yeah, heard that. Besides going to bed or what's the best? No, no, th- uh, quitting time is the best time of day. Quitting mm-hmm. time. Yeah, yeah. At least during the week. Yeah, we still got a little bit today. You got anything else Lee, you want to hit on, Cody? We, um, you got anything? W- one thing, you know, if you're going to squirrel. What what would you look at just as a starting place, or if you wanted to set up, look for drays. I mean, yeah, the mass drays, is gone by big now, time. correct? Yeah, the mass is off so the trees. So you want to look for, yeah. and that's a fancy saying, nests, leaf nests. Leaf nests, yeah, yeah. They, um, drays is another word for leaf nests. Yeah, yeah. good indicator mm-hmm. of where squirrels are. So if you see yeah. lots of those, then you know, okay. There's a good yeah, not necessarily squirrels. the squirrels are in those nests yeah. at that point in time, but that there's there's squirrels. And around. don't shoot the nest oh, yeah. no 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 oh, do not shoot the, oh, my know, gosh. i know people yeah. that do that and, and if there's any young in there and all they're all dead i mean yeah that's stupid. yeah the, and, and they're the, not going to fall out what are they going to do they're in the nest exactly them, yeah and the squirrels unlike birds that make a nest lay eggs then they're out they don't use that nest again for like shelter and stuff squirrels they're living in that leaf nest and they're raising their young in the leaf nest yeah. so yes don't definitely don't don't shoot do the, yeah. the it's not nest. always squirrels in those nests either no kidding. No, there's going to be other animals that get up there and use them. I've seen raccoons come out of those nests before. No kidding. That's Like awesome. maybe just during the day, that's where they happen to be. Yeah. In that segment Some I was talking space. about, too, there was these, they came up on two squirrels, and you just have to watch it. Mm-hmm. They came up on two squirrels, and the squirrels timbered out, so they took off mm-hmm. running, right? Yeah. And they ran to a nest, and both squirrels ran to that nest, and one of them got in it, and the other one... It was like a game of musical chairs. Yeah, he was right. on the outside. He was like, where do I go? <laughs> where do I go now? And, yeah, yeah, and exactly. he just kept on going. But I guess there was That's only awesome. room in that nest for one squirrel. Yeah. We yeah, could. generally speaking, just um, one squirrel will use it at one point in time, and yeah. then the, the litter can fit in there. It well. looked exactly like musical chairs because That's they got funny. there at almost the same time. It was like yeah. one of them beat the other one by a half second, yeah. and the one who was left sitting there was like, like sorry about your luck. Where's my chair? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he, he took off tambourine, and that squirrel just kept on going through the trees. No you know? kidding, yeah. Um, anything else, Lee? I don't want to. That's what one thing I wanted to say. People yeah. don't do it. Where's a good starting? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I completely agree about not shooting the nest, 100%. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, don't do that. Also, Play shooting does off a of power line. That's yeah, yeah. Do. Don't I mean, do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Um, also, you know, cuttings from earlier this year can still be visible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cu- like, nuts that have looked like they've been chewed up or ground up by something. Walnuts a lot. Walnuts big time. Hickory. Yeah, hickory nuts, big hickory nuts and stuff. They're chewing the shell off that and leaving it at the bottom. That takes a little bit longer to uh, decompose and other mm-hmm. stuff. And so, again, it, it might not be a sign of a squirrel was up there cutting a nut, but it could be a good squirrel sign. The holes you mentioned in your yard, yeah. you know, check those a out. A lot of times yeah. you can uh, find those uh, – uh, cuttings or shavings, whatever you want to call them, sitting up on top of logs or rocks. Yeah, they'll be yeah. elevated. Like the squirrels, right. I guess, probably don't want to sit on the ground. They get up elevated off the damp ground. It's a little bit safer. Where, where they can see a little better. Mm-hmm. But you can find piles of those on logs, and you're right. They're just find, figuring out where the squirrels are using the nest or using sign from where they've been cutting. That's probably good tips. Mm-hmm. What about you, Cody? You got anything else you want to run through? I think we covered. You got all kinds of interesting yeah. looking data in front of you there. Oh yeah, I was trying to get uh, trying to bone up a little bit so I didn't get uh, say anything. 
We weren't going to we surprise you too yeah. bad. Yeah, like no ambush <laughs> on the podcast. Well, guys, I appreciate it. I say we all go get some lunch. Yeah. I'll get this posted today. Cody, I appreciate you coming by. Yeah, thanks appreciate so much, it, guys. Yeah. I love being on it. Thanks, Lee. It was it. fun. Yeah. It was fun. We'll have to have you back on. One thing I wanted to get to that we didn't get to was about cooking squirrels. But you know what? People, if they need that, they can get to it online. Probably better yep. resources online as far as recipes and how to. And our own Field to Fork content yep. on Check out uh, the website. It's, it's fw.ky.gov. It's right now, there's some tips in that article as well. So you can oh, check perfect. out Kentucky yeah. Field Magazine. Slow and, you know, like you said, even a tough old squirrel, if you do low and slow, low and slow. Good. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate it. I'm going to go get me a squirrel more.